Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Help stake... Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Caged In Presents Coppola Connections. As ever, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsyllabus. This week's film, Listen Up Philip. So it's time for us to get a bit navel-gazy, a bit insufferable, a bit uh, difficult second book with this episode. And joining me this week is Adam Zanidi, an amazing musician, band leader, absolute bloody legend. You might have uh, heard Adam if you're a long-time listener to the show. He joined me for um, his top five score cues and uh, needle drops in Wes Anderson films because he is the band leader of the fantastic Wes Anderson. Uh, we talk all about that in this episode. Yeah, this, this, one's, this one's a lot of fun. It's a film that you might not have heard of but if you if you haven't you can find it right now in the uk on the bfi player bfi player or yeah i'm sure you can source it elsewhere there's an amazing uh, eureka masters of cinema uh, blu-ray that i have it comes uh, conveniently with a nice dvd as well that's always lovely yeah, but watch this film before we talk about it, because we, we talk about I think you could listen to this episode, episode and still enjoy the film afterwards, yeah. But yeah, obviously there's spoilers ahead, as, as there always bloody is with this show. All that's left to do is leave the big city and move to the country with your favourite author to try and write your third novel, leaving your lovely doting girlfriend behind. As you accidentally become a college lecturer and things go to pot, as we listen up with Philip, make some Coppola connections. This week, we take a retreat to a once successful author's summer home as we look at Alex Ross Perry's 2014 comedy drama, Listen Up, Philip, starring Elizabeth Moss, Jonathan Price, Kristen Ritter, and today's Coppola connection, Jason Schwartzman. To join me 
for this meander from the city to upstate to see if this film has ink in its cartridge and helps to stake a claim that the Coplas are the greatest film family of all time or a hack second novel, an insufferable prick of a film that deserves to be thrown out and unloved is musician Wes Bandersoner, bassist and producer Adam Znady. How are you, Adam? I'm doing very well, thank you. You, uh, you stuck the landing on that one. That was, uh, <laughs> that was a good... <laughs> thank you very much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> people won't hear that, but uh, uh, before I edited out, there was a, uh, a, a, a massive fuck-up, a little peek behind the curtain. What, what happens? Oh, shit, sorry, man. It's, it's okay, Adam. I'm, I like to let people know that I'm uh, a fallible human being and I, I make mistakes, even though they don't well, hear them. That's that I I think that actually relates to this film in a very interesting way. Not that I called it out specifically for that, but the way that the fact that you say that is um <laughs> yeah, is very emblematic of the uh destructive behaviors that two of the lead characters in this film um uh have. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, before display. Before we get into talking about uh listen up Philip. Obviously, yeah, you put together Wes Banderson, uh, we, you were on the podcast before to talk about it. People hopefully would have listened to that episode. But I just wanted to, yeah, ask you, how, how did the gigs go? Obviously, you performed. And, and what is Wes Banderson for people who might be tuning in for the first time? So Wes Banderson is uh, a small orchestra, six-piece orchestra of multi-instrumentalists uh, who play the, a selection of the soundtrack and score um, I'd say score music from Wes Anderson's films. So it's a one and a half hour like show, really a gig um, with arrangements of all like the um, the Mark Mothersbaugh and Alexandra Duplatt and a couple of the um, selected pieces, but arranged in a way that's um, uh, that works for a six piece band. And it's all the it's very focused on the actual score music as opposed to you know, like Ruby Tuesday by the Stones. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, uh, it, it went, it went really well. I mean, given, given the fact that it was, you know, one of the opening, still relatively opening pandemic shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the pandemic, like DLC had been downloaded specifically for that time as well. So there was like pandemic version two coming in, <laughs> uh, just, just before we, started to do the shows but um the turnout was actually still really good considering mm-hmm. and it was it was a lot of fun to do that music live for me after five six years of wanting to do it and then after two years since actually when we were supposed to do it yes yeah 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so yeah it, so yeah it went, it went very well and there's a couple of a couple of interesting things which um uh, I can't be really talking about it now, uh, but I'll tell you afterwards, and then I'll I'll make sure I announce it on this show first. You, you can get the scoop on this one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, on an unrelated episode, um, but yeah, there's a couple of interesting things that have come off the back of that, that nice. which we'll hopefully be able to announce and do soon. So yeah, thank you for asking. It went went really well. Nice, nice, and it it it, it feels it, it, well. It feels very prescient to be talking about like uh, a, a a filmmaker who kind of. I guess pulls from the same school <clears throat> of filmmakers that Wes Anderson does with Alex Ross Perry and the kind of yeah. New York centric 
insufferable asshole like kind of canon of of, of characters. Uh, but again, yeah, before we before we delve deep into uh, Listen Up, Philip, I always like to ask my guests like kind of what their Coppola credentials are. And when the first question is always like, when did you first become aware of the Coppola family? And I like, what was your entry point and when did you realize that they were this kind of multi-strand, multi-faceted family that kind of, you know what I mean, the multi-generational kind of spider's web that they are? Quite late, really. I think less than less than going like, oh, whoa, this this is this is um, a a movie um, uh, dynasty. It was more. I think the things that hit me most was like, oh shit, that guy's a Coppola. Like, oh, Nicolas Cage is a Coppola. Oh, Schwartzman's a Coppola. Yeah. Oh, th- this other, you know, uh, extra examples are Coppolas as well. And um, it was really, I think it was through discovering, I think it's particularly Schwartzman and uh, Cage, that's what made me kind of very much realize the extent and breadth of like ta- uh, talent and reach of this. Uh-huh. Yeah, this, uh, this film dynasty. Well, it's it's like it's like when the kind so, of uh, yeah, it was. It's like when the penny drops that like Jake when you find out oh Jason Schwartzman's mum who's that and then it's like oh it's Adrian from the Rocky films oh it's Connie Corleone and it's like oh she's Francis Ford Coppola's <laughs> yeah. sister of course of course like Jason's a part of the of the mix and he's uh yeah he he's probably mm. yeah I think from looking at his filmography uh, guess with like his TV work as well as his film work. I reckon has like the most screen time of a Coppola, even like rivaling Nicolas Cage, who obviously has done like close to a hundred films. Like, yeah, Jason Schwartzman's done 70, 80 odd films, as well as like multi series TV projects. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's, uh, yeah, three seasons of Bored to Death. So he's clocking up what, like 30 hours or. 15 hours there yeah that's a fair point yeah so <laughs> and i guess the fact that he's he's i i guess operated on a slightly i was i say generally smaller stage than i, I guess like classic cage has uh-huh. probably allows him to do smaller po- smaller projects more frequently and rack up those hours yeah 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 and then obviously like that doesn't even come into the fact that it seems to be now even <laughs> like we never know how much involvement Jason Schwartzman has on a Wes Anderson project, but it seems like him and Roman Coppola just get like uh, credits, story by credits, just for the sake of it. Now, like it, maybe it was yeah, just like yeah. they were having a conversation and like they were, I'm thinking about doing this. They chipped in a couple of things, and it's like, come on, Wes, give us our story credit. Like we need that. Uh, come on now, yeah, we, we need it for the union. We need it for the WGA or who, like whoever it is. Like. Remember who we are. Remember who our family are. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We will put a horse's head in your bed, Wes. Okay, we'll, we'll put a felt horse's head in your bed. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, they they probably have that kind of power. That's not. <laughs> Let, let's let's not go into it too deep now. <clears throat> let's, yeah, let's not uncover but, uh, the, uh, the 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 web of deception and kind of uh, you know let the dominoes fall. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could. This, yeah, this, this isn't a conspiracy pod. No, <laughs> yeah, that, that's even though you're uh, you're in a an outdoor kind of like shed area. That is true. Yeah. Um, kind of smoking. It definitely has like conspiracy pod like vibes about it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of channeling uh, Gene Hackman in conversation. That's the, that's the, that's the, <laughs> that's very much the vibe I'm, I'm trying to go for. But yeah, let's leave the conspiracies to uh, Joe Rogan. Sure. And um, let me ask you: Have you? Yes. Ha- have you ever had the uh, good fortune of ever meeting a coppler or, or ever like attending like a, a Q and A or a screening that that one of them happened to be at? Um, unfortunately, not. I look forward to the point where I've met two of them, so I can say I've met a couple of them. But um, up until that point, uh, no, unfortunately not. I mean, uh, I don't even have a someone who I think I think I've got three three degrees of separation away from one of them. Nice, nice. Um, maybe four, in fact. Yeah, I think four. I, I I always I always love um previous guest Stu Whiffin's answer was I saw Phantom Planet play once. Does that count? I was like, Yeah, yeah, you saw Jason <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you saw Jason Schwartzman yeah, on the drums. Yeah. You breathe the yeah. same air. I'll I'll take that as a as an answer. Um What 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 about you? What's the closest you've got? Um the closest like physically. I've, I've got physically. I've I've never actually. Yeah, I've never been in the. It's obviously now it is my like kind of my life's goal to kind of when Sophia's releasing a film or one of them is on the press tour to kind of like be there in a professional capacity, not just be there in a in a trench coat just kind of lurking around. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, no, no, I've never. Yeah, of course, I've never met a Coppola. I've, I've, I've emailed nicholas cage's agent so i've like i've asked for an interview and got declined but uh yeah sure. that's the closest i've come to come to a copler and uh so it's, it's one of my goals this year is interview a copler at least and i just need to work up the courage to drop those emails <laughs> are there are there any like peripheral coplers that you could get at I don't know the extent of the um the, the the tree the dynasty, but I imagine you might be able to. Yes, like a gateway Coppola. There, there is, yeah. I I reckon like uh, Robert Schwartzman, so Jason's younger brother, would be like Ooh. somebody who would be really interesting to talk to. Who like like his brother is kind of multifaceted in what he does. He was in a band called Rooney for a long time, as mm. well as acting. Yeah, and well, he was basic. He was Rooney, like. It was kind of his right. his his um yeah his project, and then has directed a few films, and kind of now now kind of runs this like really interesting distribution like movie distribution company, and um yeah, just seems like a really fascinating guy. Kind of music has cropped up, whether it's like uh, Gia Coppola's Paolo Alto, and his his music kind of crops. Up. He kind of yeah, he seems like uh. uh really like him and him and jason kind of were both like we gotta do this movie thing as well like in whatever capacity it is yeah sure um so they're, they're contractually obliged to do that as part of the family but music was their you know their thing they're, yeah yeah their their first love yeah. and then they got invited into a into a room by francis and said when are you gonna <laughs> when are you gonna join the family business <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah absolutely and I mean, I haven't uh, seen his brother, but I mean, Jason's a fantastic actor. So I guess it's just in the in the blood. Yes, yeah, be yeah, yeah. really, really, really good at it. Yeah, they, they, yeah, I, yeah. I, as I said, like Robert has kind of taken more of a seat to be a director and it's kind of cropped up in a few things he's in. 
Sure. He's in The Princess Diaries. He plays the love interest in that, a, a film that has been covered on this very podcast already. So, uh, yeah. Tight. People can go back and check that out. Uh, so, w- what would have been the first Jason Schwartzman film <clears throat> you would have remembered seeing? Um, Rushmore, I guess. And I think I watched that before I really knew who Jason Schwartzman was. So, I, th- I think the film that really turned me on to Schwartzman was probably Listen Up, Philip. Like, I, I'd, I'd known, him have, known of him before. Uh-huh. And I, um, I can't remember what I watched first, I Heart Huckabees or Listen Up Philip. But those, those for me are two. Um, I guess if I think of Jason Schwartzman, those are the two roles that define him in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which are interesting, quite connected roles. Uh, you've got kind of a troubled poet activist <laughs> who is who who is who's really you know who's generally really nice just wants to be nice to people and you've got complete self-obsessed anxious asshole mm-hmm. who um who i can i can kind of imagine that maybe jason schwartzman from i huckabees would almost kind of be jealous of the other one for his success yeah 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 yeah, yeah. potentially yeah. If he wasn't such an asshole, but then, but his success, you know, outside facing confidence. I, yeah, I, I think there's like we'll, we'll get into a bit more later on, but there's a there's a clear delineation between Max Fisher and uh, Philip Friedman as well. I think I think they're kind of yeah, oh yes yeah one hundred percent chips off the same block, and there's kind of yeah. nice nice interesting parallels between those two films that I'm sure we'll dive into. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's let let let's let's not beat around the bush anymore and let's talk about Listen Up Philip. But before we do, here's the trailer. Is that the new book? Yeah. Things are gonna be pretty crazy for me after the release. Los Angeles in January, San Francisco, and the whole West Coast thing, really. I'm told to expect big things out you there. Sorry, you're That's because I am bragging. We can probably find you a lighter weight jacket. Let's just keep this jacket on me and take the photograph sooner rather than later. I can't breathe here, and you seem to resent my presence. Well, you're a cruel, miserable person. I loved your book. Of course, I had achieved considerably more than you by now. You'll need a country retreat. Stay with me. Rub two sticks together. Make a fire. I hope this will be good for us, but especially for me. I feel him weighing on me more in his absence than I did when he was around. Where is he? He's just gone. You are selfish and unsentimental. You say that like it's a bad thing. On the contrary. He used to bring other women here so he could cheat on my mother. So no family vacation. Only horrible traumatic ones. This seems like a less than ideal place to carry on. Is it because you have a girlfriend? It's because it's gauche to grope and kiss in public. Well, you're putting her in an ugly situation. I'm proud of you, boy. make a decision that at the time seems sound but quickly reveals itself to be empty goodbye philip i don't like you but you only want to be thought as a talented writer and not as a real person yeah 
So it's, listen up. Well, oh, so I just want to say it's interesting you played that one, that trailer. Um, I the trailer I first saw for that was the teaser where it's just the vignettes uh-huh. of each character addressing Philip, and it's really interesting how um, I guess largely through one, it's the choice of music, uh-huh. which kind of gives it that like jaunty. Um, I'm surprised there wasn't um, a like clarinet in there as well. <laughs> um, uh, because of that kind of like jaunty New York kind of uh, redacted, redacted uh, type film. Uh-huh. You know who I'm talking about. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Cassavetes, right? Uh, yeah, we could talk about John Cassavetes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, that it's interesting. They, they chose kind of, I guess, all the quote unquote like funny like gag parts for that film which i understand makes perfect sense if that you want to sell that movie to a wider audience i much and this isn't this, by this this isn't me uh um like mugging you off for your uh trailer choice leave me um i uh i the one that hit me so much harder was the other trailer the the, the teaser where it's just it's each character addressing philip directly most of them giving him a dressing down for being the asshole that he is uh-huh. or not dressing down as such just ex- i guess talking to direct directly for yeah for what he's like and it's really interesting the way that those two trailers sell the film in different ways um i'm much more drawn to the 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 teaser especially because it's a bit more tense musically um but i totally get that like they need to there's an element of <clears throat> drawing that through lineage of new york movies that that kind of trailer will do and yeah it's i guess you play the gags to bring people in anyway that's my um that's my spiel on the the trailer there well let's but it, it, let's hear let's hear that other trailer so we can get a nice little compare and contrast yeah philip i don't appreciate the way you treat my sister you're not a good house guest and you're not invited here ever again Philip, I'm so excited about your new book. It's so great. Philip, hey, we met once at a party. I don't know if you remember, you were pretty drunk. Philip, I really liked your new book. Philip, my dad speaks highly of you and your work. He mentioned that you might be coming to stay at our country house for a little while. Philip, j'ai appris qu'on allait travailler ensemble. Je peux pas dire que je me réjouis tellement. Honestly, sometimes you're impossible to live. The year that you were here in writing was our best year. It was amazing. Anyways, another magazine, a bigger one, is doing this profile on me, and I thought you might be a good fit to write it. If there's anything I can do to help, please ask. I'd like to get to know you better. This is supposed to be my time at the house. So if you come, stay out of my way. Well, moi, j'ai quand même travaillé très dur pour arriver là où j'en suis aujourd'hui, alors que je sais pas si je pourrais dire la même chose à ton sujet. Now that your new novel is coming out, just feel like you've changed. I don't know if we're on the same page anymore. But I'm trying. I can definitely tell what you mean with that. It feels like that trailer is very much selling it to the people who probably would enjoy the film. Because obviously, like, one, that teaser doesn't even use film footage it's just kind of it's stuff that's almost like paraphrased from the film whether it's that um that that other author josh kind of saying like uh, we get that exchange in the film of him 
him saying like, oh, I want you to write this piece for me whilst I'm on the road and stuff like that. But yeah, the, 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 the first trailer, it's the, it kind of, I, it kind of feels like it would, it would miss sell the film somewhat. And yeah, but you, you, ju- you just made a really good point there. Like that trailer is a trailer for people who they know would enjoy the film. Uh huh. So I think I think it's probably that that kind of um, I don't know that one thousand true fans thing where it's like the the trail the the teaser let's try and kind of like pinpoint people who would love this and I would say that that's a Wes Anderson fan base. Let's be honest. I saw it on the uh, the Wes Anderson like uh, whatever the the Rushmore Academy blog I think it was. Uh-huh. And for any Wes Anderson fan seeing that, um, I guess. But, uh, Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson fan of you know up to probably like Rushmore. Uh-huh. No, sorry, um, Darjeeling Limited. Seeing that would be like shit. I have to see this movie, which is what I was like. Uh-huh. As soon as I saw that, I was just like, "What is this? Who is this director? I have to see this film." Um, but I also, to your point, yeah, the the second trailer. That's the way to sell the film to people who might not kind of immediately um, connect with what this movie actually you know really is i i think Um, i think what's interesting to that point as well is that i feel like the people who would like want to see it off the back of the kind of more jaunty upbeat trailer probably be left like with a sour taste in their mouth having seen it because (laughs) it does almost promise you this thing of lots of quips and stuff like that but the kind of the insufferable nature of philip and something i wanted to kind of delve into at some point is kind of can we enjoy films with these kind of like flawed and like unlikable lead characters and i think what this film does that is interesting to uh, unlike a wes anderson film is it lets its unlikable characters be unlikable whereas a wes anderson film is like hey We'll present you with Steve Sisu, who, like, kind of, if you boil him down to his, like, fundamentals, is, like, a guy who, like, takes advantage of, like, all of these, like, people who work for him, takes advantage of his wife, ex-wife. He kind of, like, knowingly ignores the fact that he had a son. Like, all of that kind of written out is, like, that's an unlikable guy. But that film is sold as, like, Hey, wouldn't it be great to be a part of Team Zizou? Do you know what I mean? Whereas, yeah, listen up, Philip has almost like a thing of this guy's a prick. Are you gonna wallow in it with him? Are you gonna kind of get, I don't know, caught up in the story of it all and kind of go to the interesting places that this film will will take you, or will you kind of be just, I can't buy into this guy, so fuck this film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, there's not, there's, there's no, I, th- I think the only kind of likability there, and this is, this is something that I fucking love about Alex Ross Perry's movies. Like the likability there is because we can anxiously empathize with some of their worst traits. Uh huh. Because we've, we've all been assholes at certain points to a certain extent. Yeah and felt anxious about it or done things being being assholes because we felt anxious yeah which is largely why people are assholes really um to a certain extent unless they're complete psychopaths but um 
Um, and with with Wes Anderson's movie, there's there is there's like a likability about them. There's uh, there's a lot of the time there's some kind of resolution um, towards the end there that makes them a bit, I don't know, a bit cuter uh-huh. to a certain extent. But with this, it's they don't they don't really get that. They're just there's just a sadness there, yeah, 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 yeah. which I absolutely love because it's I, I think it's a it's a bit more even, even though some aspects of you know Philip and Ike's um, personality are well, I was about to say they're they're a bit exaggerated, but I I know some people who are who are like that, yeah. and I've been in situations with people who are very closely exhibiting that kind of behavior and that outlook and i I draw a parallel at the moment uh to um uh you know squid and the whale yeah yeah um, no 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 bambuck but like no totally no bambuck is all over this film there is kind of this yeah crop of new generation directors who i would debt and i'm gonna say this name woody allen uh, John Cassavetes, even like Francis Ford Coppola to, to a certain extent with his short he made for New York stories, which kind of is like, if you, if you look back, is almost like the the gestation point of Wes Anderson's career. And they kind of all, all owe a debt to these kind of New York guys. And yeah, the, sure. this kind of new crop, whether it is Noah Baumbach, Alex Ross Perry, um, what's his name? David O. Russell, to a certain extent, especially like with his with his earlier work, kind of trying to do like screwball comedies, and yeah, like you're saying about uh, I Heart Huckabee's earlier, like being at yeah. these neurotic people and stuff like that. They kind of all owe this debt to these guys that came before them, somewhere. Yeah, it's it's um, it's really, I think it's really refreshing and interesting, especially with um, yeah, I guess. Alex Ross Perry stuff, particularly that there's, it feels like he's not as interested in making us like the person. Yeah, and he, I was listening to an interview with him talking about how <clears throat> you know there's there's always there's a lot of the time for a production company there's an outside need for us to relate to the character, and you know the character can be I guess. Uh, kind of an asshole, but there has to be some kind of like relatable points. If there's, I don't know, they have uh, a dog that they love, or uh, to, to to be kind of like really trite, but something that really makes us put themselves and put ourselves into them. And once again, I think that what's amazing about his movies is that the relatable aspects are just like either, oh fuck, I don't want to be like that, or the I've been on the precipice of being like that, yes. or I know someone who's kind of like that, and. I think it it it, de- it really depends on on the audience whether they enjoy leaning into the like the shitty savagery of those characters <laughs> whether 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 they're kind of like active savage like um like Philip or um like I and I haven't seen Golden Exits for ages but the kind of passive just kind of uh, I don't know nothingness uh-huh. of someone who's not actively savage towards you but is just cold yeah 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 I, and yeah I've, i i i've got sorry, to say, go i've got to say off the bat here that that, that like fess up this is the first alex ross perry film i've seen and kind of 
reading around it, obviously, like I'd kind of been unaware of his work until starting this podcast. And then but I, remember I, I picked up the uh, Masters of Cinema, like Blu-ray that uh, Eureka Films put out and was just like kind of started reading around it. And I watched uh, Mark Commode did like a, an introduction for the BFI player uh, and, and kind of said, it's 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 got this Noah Baumbach edge to it, and like my ears kind of pricked up. I kind of love like the, the yeah, I love those kind of New York movies and stuff like that, and I love that kind of it is is very I don't know, it's very trite of a of a straight white man to say I, I love these like films about these neurotic guys kind of trying to struggle, <laughs> like trying not to be an arsehole but probably being an arsehole at, at the end of yeah. it. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so yeah, with 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 kind of my confession that this was my introduction to Alex Ross Perry. Um, I always like to ask my guests, Adam, to to tell us what this film is about. Just uh, well, I know we're nearly half hour into this conversation, but but just so we can give people like a feel of of what sure. Listen Up, Philip is all about. Um, so as a as a very quick uh, blurb, um, uh, Philip. Um, has uh, played by Jason Schwartzman has just completed his second book and he's about to go on uh, he's about to begin kind of doing some publicity for it um, but decides that he does not want to do it um, <clears throat> he gets a chance to meet his uh, his I guess hero author uh, Ike Zimmerman who is someone who was a prolific writer I'd say 30 40 had his heyday like 34 if, if we're set in kind of the mid uh 2010s now his heyday was in like the 70s and 80s yes, yeah, yeah. um he gets to go and spend meet him and spend some time with him and finds in ike a um uh a uh, a mentor of sorts but ike is ike is very much they're they're both kind of very anxious uh complete assholes and uh both of their behaviors are exacerbated kind of by each other and so we kind of follow Alec, um, um, Philip through this, but we also look at, I think what's the best part about this is uh, we look at how um, his absence and him kind of like dipping in and out of the, of the room, as it were, affects his girlfriend, Ashley, played by Elizabeth Moss. Yes. And f- um, for me, that, that, that's the bit I kind of enjoy the most and it sounds weird to say this no, 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 no. but it's but but it's 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 true it's seeing that thing of when the asshole leaves the room what happens to the collateral damage of you know of that person leaving what what happens to those who are kind of left there yeah. and that's it's 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 so that that's what i enjoy about the film the most is that looking at what is the outside damage when you know the, the self-obsessed person who doesn't think that anything exists outside of their immediate kind of peripheral like what happens well yeah i i i just wanted to play a quick clip of kind of an early stage of this film kind of just to get a flavor of who philip is and then afterwards we'll i, I want i want to dive into especially that kind of ashley segment of the film because i found that like a really yeah interesting like kind of i don't know you, you're you, you feel like the film is going in a certain direction and then like it, it, it almost like lulls you into the string of like oh this could be quite insufferable and then like there's this breath of fresh air which is this kind of like you yeah. say like the kind of uh every time philip is kind of on screen and him interaction 
interacting with different people it's like you're holding your breath and then the moment he kind of it, the, the the focus changes to ashley it's like oh you can like uh breathe breathe, breathe a sigh of relief yeah, almost um, definitely but yeah this is this is philip talking to his uh one of his ex-girlfriends uh, oh, it's so good at, at, at the beginning of the film you sound like you're that's because i am bragging and you're doing a really hurtful job of sounding unfazed and do you know why that is because you're not pretending. You're not interested in this or me, not even a little. Why would you say that? Because you never believed in me, and you don't now. Well, good for you. No, not good for me, great for me. You know, you told me many times now that I think about it, actually, that my goals were unreasonable and foolhardy. Am I recalling this correctly? That my dream, the only dream I've had since I was 14 years old, to write and publish a novel of my own, wasn't something I could just reach out and have. Hard work, you tell me. Years of working up from the bottom, you tell me. Well, you know something? You were wrong, dead wrong, actually, about me and everything. This was for you. It's an advanced copy. I'd even written a little note on the dedication page and everything. But you know something? You don't support me, and you never did. So you don't get this gift from me. Not today, not ever. Forever. So how is that as an uh, introduction to, to Philip? Like, that's kind of like one of the first kind of exchanges we seem to have. <laughs> He's such an arsehole. I think but the, uh, what, what's so good about t- just after this, <clears throat> after the scene, uh, the the uh, the narrator says that he was so yeah Philip was so kind of like pumped by um, uh, by um, saying this out loud him being someone who would always kind of keep his his feelings to himself he then goes and gives a dressing down to he <laughs> arranges to meet up with and give a dressing down to his old um, like <clears throat> college like best friend yeah, yeah, yeah. and also also just lays into him for not uh, for not sticking to being a writer and not working hard enough. And the guy, it, it's 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 so good. It's so so good. So it's an amazing. Like you you can you can tell how <clears throat> how much of an anxious, yeah, asshole, totally. But um, how much of uh, an anxious human being he is straight from the off. And it's it's and it's funny because of how extreme it is. Like that that kind of behavior shouldn't be funny at all. Like it's it's horrible. Yeah. But it's absolutely hilarious i think what is quite quite interesting about this film is like when i put this out to twitter kind of asking for people's opinions um a friend of the podcast liam h dempsey said like i just found philip to be an insufferable prick and i I think what is like interesting about that is if philip was aged up and like uh was a balding man with glasses he would be larry david which like is all of a sudden acceptable. Very interesting. Uh, Whereas like there is Mm. something about a smugness and an arrogance in a kind of attractive young person on the up. Do you know what I mean? That like, I I think can make a character like, especially if it's like somebody around your age group, it is that bit more like it can irk you a bit more. Whereas like a, a a character like Larry David, seems so like not otherworldly but do you know what I mean like obviously that 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 show is like Kirby Enthusiasm is grounded in reality but there is this kind of thing is he's super successful he's super wealthy the people he's dealing with most of the time are also like super wealthy or like he's kind of like getting into these scrapes of kind of service people and stuff like that whereas like Philip is kind of doing a similar thing but he's on a He's on a tirade of people who he should love and care for 
in, in a weird way, but it is very much like yeah. it, it encapsulates, yeah, like you said, his kind of his anxieties and stuff like that. And instead of kind of beating himself up, he, he beats up the world around him. Totally, totally. I wonder kind of how um, someone of Larry David's generation would respond. I, obviously, yes, as, as you said, he's on a completely different world. So it's almost these like fantasy, like Disney creatures being angry at each other. Uh, so we can't exactly relate to it. Um, but yeah, I wonder someone of uh, Larry David's generation would be like, this guy's just a fucking asshole. <laughs> like, why, is this, why is this funny? Um, <clears throat> but I, I suppose a lot of the time, perhaps with kind of Larry David and Curb, there's, there's a self-deprecation aspect to it, which uh-huh. maybe you, um, uh, maybe softens things a little bit. Yes. Where there is not a shred of self-deprecation at all in Philip. Like a, a little bit, but that's not, it's never really said as a joke. Mm-hmm. It's more when he's, um, when he's talking about some angers, you know, some, some feelings of, I don't know, insecurity with Ike, yes. ultimately. Well, but the, it, but the, the defense is always up. I think where the kind of levity and kind of self-awareness comes through in this film is not through the characters themselves, but through the kind of narrative device of the kind of omniscience, like ever-present narrator we get throughout the film, who kind of like yeah seems to seems to just not yeah he knows everything about everyone, like how they're feeling, what it's it's, and I think it's very interesting as well that it kind of it plays into this idea of almost like um, a visual representation of a novel in a way in that like you kind of have this third person narrator who kind of, yeah, sure. let, let's get a flavor of the narrator to kind of hear how, how he talks about the characters. Returning home to the apartment he shared with Ashley Kane, his girlfriend of two years, Philip found himself gripped by uncontrollable lust temporarily forgetting the ambivalence and negligence towards him that she was increasingly incapable of concealing as her success as a photographer in the art world led to consistent and lucrative commercial work. Hello, Ashley. (laughs) Uh, Fantastically done by Eric Bogosian, who uh, a lot of people may recognize, uh, turns up in Uncut Gems as the the kind of villain of... uh, uh, Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. A kind of... Another another New York link, a, there. a New York stalwart, I think. Yeah, a, a, yeah. A uh, so yeah, what well, do you, what, what what I was going to say uh, about about that was is it's it's interesting and it ties into something that I was thinking about whilst watching it again um, a couple of days ago. One, the presence of the narrator, a lot of the time, makes it feel like we are we're watching a movie of a book that philip has written yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. especially so we're we're well yeah, yeah so, sorry yeah uh totally we're, we're, we're watching this kind of um yeah this this imagined like curated version of of philip's life that even though there's a tragic element he still would i probably wouldn't have it any other way um and it, it just it really so when I was watching it, I was thinking about how Philip and Ike behave as um, they, the, Ike particularly as he's older and has had kind of years of practice doing this, but I think it's something that Philip is cultivating and moving towards. 
it's that thing of um, they don't ever want to be anything except the idea of what a uh, a writer of towering talent and intellect is. Mm-hmm. They don't want to. So you, you imagine if you imagine kind of you know you think about any heroes that you have, especially when you're a bit younger and I don't know you don't maybe there's less introspection. Well, a lot of time we think of our heroes as these like incredible like beings that are just superhuman and perfect and amazing. And then <clears throat> either you meet them and they're just down to earth people or you meet them and you're very disappointed. Uh, I've had, I've had both. Um, and uh, th- I think the thing with these two guys, and I think there's a lot of, this is, this is probably, I think this is, maybe something that's more prevalent with men in that situation i can't be sure i don't have a large enough sample size but i get the feeling that it's going to be uh this kind of like anxiety about not being kind of like the the big strong man Uh whether mentally or physically um they with friends and family and anyone around them they don't want to be anything except this like this idea that people have of them so they so even yeah even with the family ike with his daughter and i i assume with uh, his ex-wife um melanie his daughter's mother is still so closed off to her and still so um uh i uh, reluctant to talk about anything anything personal and makes it very clear that he's like cut people off cuz they're like scumbags and uh, leeches and cockroaches, uh-huh. whatever. Um, they, yeah, they, they, they just do not want to be seen as anything except this idea, idealized version of themselves. And they built themselves into that. Ike over 40 years, Philip, as he's going to move into it so much that there's like, there's no way out. And yeah, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating to, to see that because yeah, I can imagine there's so many people, so many people in the world who are just like that. <laughs> well, I, I think it's interesting that the way that they speak as well, because I think that the way that you, you're saying about this idealized version that they have of and the way they present themselves, and especially like the way that Philip and Ike interact together, it almost, it and it's perfectly captured um, in a book I'm currently reading uh, by Sophie Monks Kaufman called uh, about Wes Anderson's films, but like how the characters almost talk in an unnatural way that is like this uh the things that are normally left in between set like actual sentences the things that you would never say and that's the way she kind yeah. of describes it in Wes Anderson films and that's the way that that uh Philip and Ike kind of talk they kind of talk in these weird like platitudes and everything is kind of like this like if, yeah there's that thing from the trailer where like there's an insult to the, the anyone else it would be an insult to Philip and he's like I don't mean that as an insult. Like he's kind of like you're arrogant, sufferable, and he's like, uh, but yeah, like uh, I don't mean that. I don't it's mean like, that as an that's a compliment in my eyes. They're they're they're, they're speaking as characters in their books. They're writing. <clears throat> it's one they're kind of speaking in prose uh-huh. instead of actually speaking, and two, yeah, once again, it plays back to that thing of like they don't even want to have, or maybe they're not even capable of having a regular conversation or speaking like a quote unquote regular person because they want they they want like a perfectly curated 
everything they say has to be perfectly curated and, and, and to I think, be. I, I think the no, film, sorry, sorry, go ahead. The film has a really like beautiful physical representation of that when they have that exchange near like the end of the film and they're in Philip's office and there's this like power struggle about who's sitting at like the <laughs> kind of head of the desk and who sat in the pupil's chair and then the camera cuts to them just like sat next to each other kind of in like the no man's land of the office yeah. and, and it's like that kind of thing of they just want to they they have this idea about who they are and i think there's like this really interesting parallel throughout this film and uh, teased it earlier with Rushmore and it is that idea of obviously got the character of um Max Fisher and Mr. Bloom and how they they kind of come into each other's lives have similar goals in in their eye in in that story it's very much they both have eyes for Mrs. Cross whereas this like they have this idea of being like the great American novelist and stuff like that and how they kind of they both have this like um anxiety and uh jealousy over the other one where like they kind of both spur each other on in a weird way where one of like it's like ike wants mm. to be younger and kind of like have the success again and meeting philip kind of brings that out in him and he kind of uh invigorates him to to to, to try and get more stuff done and like Philip is kind of wanting to almost be be like Ike already. He wants to be this kind of over the hill kind of dusty old summer home with all these books and like, do you know what I mean? Like the play yeah. playing piano with these like, do you know what I mean? With these kind of old codgers and like kind of get like drinking really expensive whiskey and stuff like that. And it's like that thing of I don't know, the film could work in this weird like it's almost like a time loop movie where you can just keep replacing like the Philip character and the Ike character yes. with, with like a new generation time and time again, where it's like, yeah, it's almost like sci-fi there, in that there, way. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Philip will grow into, as you said, Philip will be Ike. And then there will be a new young, uh, young Philip who will look to, you know, who looked to Philip as this towering, successful writer, and yeah, it'll, it'll it will just keep spiraling in that way, because yeah, they're yeah they are these these weird kind of echo chambers for each other. <laughs> so, what do you, what what do you make of um, Jonathan Price's like performance as as Ike? This kind of uh, ghost, I love it. Ghost of kind of author future, right? Of what what Philip could yeah. be. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um i i love it i've um um i am aware of that i've i've been around that kind of person in real life so there are a f it's it feels quite extreme but it's not to, to those who perhaps haven't met people like that or been around people like that closely, but it is, it's captured pretty well. <laughs> um, and so um, there's, for me watching it, there's a mix of um, mild anxiety um, 
because of just how how real it is um but also yeah i think i think it's just captured really 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 well yeah um and you can't it's it's, it's the thing what once again it's you can't help him and philip even though they're assholes you can't help but have a mile have you know feel somewhat connected with them because of because you can you can see them sitting at the bottom you know lying down in their own graves like shoveling mud onto their faces with how they're how they they are that you know philip at the beginning of it ike at the end of it have squandered repeatedly opportunities to uh make you know to to find ha- you know happiness whatever you know you want to call that um and um yeah it's sorry i was gonna make a point on that my brain just kind of went flying with that one it's, um but yeah i'll probably think of it in like five seconds but please <laughs> yeah, carry on well what i was gonna say is like there is a there is a moment between um melanie and ike uh melanie played by Kristen ritter who, who again is is fantastic in this in this small part she gets as this kind of put upon daughter of ike's but um this like very much ties back into that clip i played of uh philip and and, and his girlfriend and eve we, we see the kind of the shades of ike already in philip with this thing of like you never believed in me do you know what i mean he has that thing he's already starting yeah. to, to push people out of his life and uh so yeah this is a, a pretty tense scene in which kind of the, the the truth is revealed of how Ike felt about um, uh, Melanie's mother. You say it yourself. You don't see anybody. You have no friendships. And you have ruined every relationship in which you ever could have found meaning. Who? Huh? Associates? Sycophants? Who the fuck needs pissants like them? Good riddance. Me? Mom? You know what the fuck you're talking about as usual. Why do you assume that she never talked to me? Oh, I'm sure she was only too eager to fill your head with some inane, fictitious bullshit. Well, one thing I know for a fact, you only got one version of events told from the perspective of a very sad, very lonely, pathetic woman. You insult again. This is my mother you're talking about. And? Go on. You talk about her like she's some leech that sucked you dry. Yeah, well, she would have done given half the chance her and everyone else you know she is my biggest regret Hmm? the strongest and saddest proof that you cannot change anyone and that your first instinct about them will always be right yeah well that just proves that you yourself can't be changed either yeah much to my chagrin i proved my own point (laughs) yeah so uh, like insert jaunty new york music yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no like David no, David David David. What 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 I find in, and, and listening to that clip it kind of came to me is what I found really interesting about it, so especially like the the introduction of Kristen Ritter's character is the film kind of really messes with how this kind of film would usually play out. Do you know what I mean? If it were the kind of jaunty New York music version of this cuz like there's that moment I don't know. I think, and I think Alex Ross Perry does it intentionally. The way that she's set up, it's like, will she be like Philip's savior in this? Do you know what I mean? Will yeah. this? Will there be this kind of like 
frost. Do you know what I mean? In something in a rom-com, it would be played. There's this frosty relationship and it's kind of her by like final act, giving Philip some home truths and being, you're this arsehole, you're this, you're that, you're going to turn out like my dad. Yeah. Like, and then, and then he, he has this kind of Ebenezer Scrooge kind of realization where he's like, oh yeah, like I, uh, I, I shouldn't be like this. I should, I should learn the kind of error of my ways and kind of go on. But this film kind of has no interest in kind of a redemptive arc to Philip whatsoever. No, not at all. It's, it's more about showing something that's a lot more real. And there's some really, really real moments in this film. And um, yeah, I dangled a carrot on it earlier. But should we talk about the kind of sequence we get? Kind of comes maybe what half hour into the movie where it kind of shifts gear and focuses on on ashley and the, the fantastic elizabeth moss performance yeah definitely there's there's one one short point i wanted to make um is it's definitely feels to me maybe intentionally maybe not intentionally a a comment on the idea of like does someone have to be does someone have to be an asshole to be this amazingly successful and prolific with their work uh-huh but like is that is that kind of part and parcel with if we look at i don't know the um and, and maybe there's there's a confirmation bias because their i don't know their their success comes in with you know their their failings get blown into uh, public uh, the public sphere as well but there's something that i think a lot of people think that one we forg- we can forgive these complete arseholes because they're so talented and also there's the idea that oh to to be this talented they can you know i kind of have to be an arsehole i have to be kind of ruthless because my my work is the most important thing so like fuck people yeah um and that that is one of the things that's kind of like not not weirdly relatable but yeah the thing that i kind of like was drawn to was that thing like looking back like on my life like i have i have i have probably like to the detriment of relationships put kind of creative endeavors before like rom- romantic or even like hmm. friendships and stuff like that even even doing this very podcast do you know what i mean like kind of like with like doing prep and like uh, recording episodes and stuff like that, or just kind of, yeah, just I, I kind of put put my life on hold. It's like, yeah, I, I could meet up this week, but I'd rather be like, I, 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 I'm kind of focused on doing this this stuff instead. And it's kind of that thing of you can see the steps to becoming like, and especially I think, and I think what's interesting about that Ashley thing is. For you, when you're kind of in the maelstrom of it, and I guess you probably feel it sometimes as a musician, is like you you can be like unaware of that kind of I don't know, like you're you're so focused now narrowly yeah. on that creative that like unknowingly, I think Philip is more outwardly a prick, but like unknowingly, you can be a bit of a prick as well, and just that thing of being unavailable like whether it is kind of physically or emotionally or kind of mentally because you're kind of all of that's taken up with trying to create something uh yeah creative and it's yeah yeah what what, what do you think to that point 
yeah ab- absolutely um i've definitely i've i've seen it i've seen other people where you know the there there's there's a thing that i'm fo- you know i'm focusing on making and creating and i need to get this i'm like the conduit through which this thing has to get out and the you know the blinders come down like a tunnel vision and you know it can lead me to be kind of like very direct potentially quite rude um and either in a short-term sense where you know i'm I'm working with someone and i'm just like no no do this uh-huh. um or <laughs> or in a long or longer term sense where i realize i haven't responded to it the, these people for uh, a really long time uh, because i've just been so hyper focused on this thing that i'm doing um and uh now that i'm older i'm far more aware of it and there's a lot obviously Uh as you get older you're able to hopefully i'm not in the case of ike and philip because you know there there's this it seems to me there's other stuff going on there that's making their brains behave you know behave in that matter but when you get a bit older i guess you become a bit more aware of what your personality traits are and what you kind of tend to do so you learn how to either be able to stop yourself before it gets to that point or very quickly apologize. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah. like, shit, I'm so sorry. I just did that thing. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. Whatever. Yeah. Or, um, or kind of like uh, developing like damage limitation of kind of being like, I don't know, yes. Hey, if I don't get back to you in a few days, it's because I'm kind of like in a hole of doing this. Or even if it's short term, like, hey, for the next few hours, I'm going to be like busy. Like, if you, if, if you text me or something, like, and I, I might see it and like, and then like kind of drop it and then like I, I will I will pick this up or whatever or kind of like yeah, yeah. Kind of, whereas it kind of seems instead of just being blank to someone yeah it kind of seems like wholeheartedly Philip is a lot more kind of I will carve out like months like open ended uh, invites to kind of first become like uh, the, the I don't know this weird like author concubine for this or like for this idol (laughs) and then become a a, a college like uh lecturer and stuff like that but um but i would but i would do this with my girlfriend who i am living with i would just be like oh by the way i'm going for a month yeah and oh no i'm actually going to go until christmas um bye what what, what's really interesting about that as well is we get to see the other side of that, like Philip's reaction to when yes. Ashley gets um, like an amazing bit of news and has to be out of town for like, it's like a week or so, two weeks or something like that. And um, he, yeah, he, again, he gets his like, his reaction is, t- is, is totally unjust and kind of like, like a little spoiled child. I think that is kind of the be- like one of the best ways to describe yeah like philip and even even when he's kind of getting his own way as soon as it's not going the way that he wants to he kind of manipulates the situation we get we get it later on in the film with yvette when like he he almost like he basically i don't know i'm not sure it's gaslighting but uses like emotionally manipulates her and kind of i'm and he's self-aware about it as well which is i think even more cruel when he's telling her like this kind of tragic story of his upbringing and stuff like that and he's like i'm doing that to make you feel a certain way i feel like i don't know he's uh yeah, yeah he's, he's an interesting guy for that, that part 
So, so. Yeah, yeah, he really is. I mean, <laughs> once again, it's 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 interesting. So just like I guess to cap off this point, it's we it's interesting finding out that these people who are these wealths of talent and who do these really amazing things kind of sometimes a lot of times they're kind of assholes. Th- that, like yeah, that and it's like it's self-imposed, right? It's almost like that thing of like I must suffer for my art. And it's like whether you know it or not, like the I don't know the pushing people out of your life or whatever or like i I, i've had it in the past and it's like i've been like really creative like when i've been like probably at my lowest points and i'm kind of like and and like really depressed and i'll just like write loads of music do stuff just to kind of like really like focus my mind and forget about my problems and it's interesting that philip and ike it's almost like They've got to the point of no return where they have to kind of sabotage everything to kind of be in that constant state of self-loathing and kind of the world is against me to feel like they have have something to prove and they kind of need to languish in that kind of yeah yeah horror of 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 who they really are to kind of create and so, yeah so I think it's a great depiction of that totally so, so yeah we um, so. It- you wanted to talk about um, uh, Ashley, yes, yes, and yes, that yes. side of the film when Philip, yeah. So, um, so, so, yeah. It's um, the the bit which we were talking about it before we started rolling. Um, the well, I think part of the film that um, and you the, you explained it very well is almost kind of like a breath of fresh air. Uh-huh. It is when when what's really exciting with this movie and interesting is that what happens when the asshole like leaves the room uh-huh. what's left after that you know that hurricane goes because a lot of the time movies would just follow the asshole uh-huh. really and you just carry on watching what he does but there's this amazing i think i don't know what 50, 20 minutes maybe half an hour i'm not really sure uh-huh. segment where it just focuses on ashley elizabeth moss's um character uh, philip's girlfriend um just focuses on her processing his absence and what she goes through uh through the time of him being away to uh yeah process him leaving and then start to slowly try to build a life that doesn't involve him mm-hmm. and it is as you said it's such because we're, we're so every time philip's in the room or on camera and Ike as well. He's just so on edge. Like, what? What's? Who is he going to insult? Who? What? What? When? When is the argument going to start? Um, and th- this particular that particular point is is so well um, exhibited by when Ashley goes to when she goes out to a bar um, to just when, when he's left and she gets dressed up and goes out to a bar to just kind of uh, I don't know be single pick someone up. Um, and she has, uh, she goes to a bar that they would go to together and has a bit of like a, a flashback sequence to her going in and meeting him there. Uh-huh. And then them having a really nice evening together. And then uh, it's go, it's in this, in this flashback, it's going really well. And then something, someone says something to Philip off camera and he suddenly switches and starts, uh, starts yelling at this guy. Uh-huh. And you can see her face slowly drop of it kind of reminding us that it wasn't ever really that great when she was with him. Um, 
But yeah, that, that whole sequence where it's just her is like amazing. I think what's really interesting about that moment you brought up as well in the bar is that we never, like when Philip is like dressing down that kind of uh, bar patron, you, it's just focused on Ashley's face throughout it. And yeah. even with, like, with the sound mix, it sounds ADR'd and not in like a bad way. It's almost like, it is like that thing of like a remembered memory. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like that it's really like picked out because I listened to it on headphones like whilst watching the film uh, second go around. And yeah, it just kind of sits above the mix and it is like that thing of like uh, encapsulates like those those certain lines you remember that someone said that kind of and almost like really punching the audience in the face to be like, it's a wake-up call, right? It's a wake-up call to, ah, oh, yeah, I... I thought I loved this person. I kind of even even the good memories are tinged with this kind of nastiness. And I think what I love about that sequence and the kind of the the choice to follow Ashley as well is it just like it really it really put puts into perspective that thing when you split up with someone. It's so easy to just, especially if they split up with you, to feel like. Um, I don't know. They like they've moved. They they've moved on. It's all hunky dory. Do you know what I mean? And like you, you almost forget the kind of like uh, the turmoil that they must be going. Like, and, uh, like yeah, to share something personal. I remember, um, like yeah, going for a breakup, and my ex had like had still had um, her YouTube logged into my iPad. I I I I don't know. I hadn't like kind of got got the iPad out of a box, charged it, and then it like it came up with like a previous watched video, and it was like how to get over a breakup, and like I had that like realization that oh I was the one who was dumped here, and I was kind of like woe is me, woe is me, and had like, and what this film could have done in a way is kind of just focused on the Philip, the kind of that that kind of his woe is me whereas it, it what it does is it shows you that thing of like even despite this person kind of making the decision like i've got to get rid of you, like still has that course. still is going through something as well like and I, I i i think that's what's like it captures it captures a breakup really well and there's like small moments whether it's like elizabeth moss's just her face there's that, that sequence where her and her sister yes, go and take, I know exactly what you... Go and take photos. Oh, together. sorry. I was thinking of a different one. Sorry, please carry on. I'll, yeah. When they take photos and her sister's like saying, oh, you need to smile and stuff like that. And there's just like this like swath of different emotions go across Elizabeth Moss's face that kind of like just... It's, it's, it's that kind of, I'm trying to be happy. There's like this sadness. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to feel like this, but help it and it's 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 just it's just great and yeah like, yeah for, for for her to obviously give that performance and alex ross perry to capture that performance like and kind of I don't know, encapsulate those feelings just just through something yeah of vision. course and what was the moment you were gonna you you were gonna mention uh so so this <clears throat> there are there are a couple of things that um which actually ties in with something i was going to say about the bar scene um so there's the moment where um where philip come philip comes back and um ashley is 
putting on like a really brave face of being like, you don't live here anymore. Like, what, what, what are you doing? So I don't like get, leave, get out of here. Um, and she's been, she's been really, she's been really kind of like snarky and like indifferent about him being there. And she's got the cat as well. And then he finally leaves and you can just see her going through the, cause this is the first time I think she's seen him in a couple of months or so, maybe, maybe a month. And she, she's go, just going through all these emotions of being kind of like, yeah, being like, yes, I did it. And then the, you know, the, um, uh, the, the bravery that she put on starts to break uh-huh. and the wall she put up starts to break, but she's trying to hold it together. And she goes through this, ah, uh, this, and the the camera just stays on her close up the entire time. This wave of different emotions, yeah. and it's absolutely amazing. And I um, so a couple of like funny things about that that in particular. Um, so uh, the the DP um, uh, is it Sean Price Williams. Um, he <clears throat> he he was saying. I mean, he was kind of like because him him Alex Ross Perry and the and the the editor. And a bunch of the actors in Listen Up, Philip are all guys who, who've known each other through for, for, for years. And uh, this is the first movie where Alex Ross Perry has been able to bring in, quote unquote, like real professional actors. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, say, let's say professional actors. Um, uh, and so um, Sean Price Williams said, like, generally he doesn't, you know, he, he, likes, to, he likes to do close-ups. But he wouldn't really do them for the last couple of films because, well, not he wouldn't do them as such, but it's not something he lent into. But with Listen Up Philip, now that he had, you know, uh, these like actors who had just these fucking chops, mm-hmm. like especially Elizabeth Moss, who is just out of this world, um, just the ability to like really hold these long, you know, handheld close-ups on people to really capture emotion. Yeah, um, it's quite a funny one as well. He, he, I think he accidentally ordered by a bunch of telephoto lenses, so he had <laughs> so in, so in every shot he had to be, even though they're close-ups on faces, he had to be just like pressed right into the back of the other room. Amazing. Which, but and I kind of thought about this, and it's it's interesting that you're. Your, it, it kind of gives the, the feeling, I don't know whether this, it was intended or not, or whether other people have picked up on this, but it's like, it gives the feeling of you're physically quite close to this, these people, but really emotionally you're not at all. You're uh-huh. actually really far away. And that might, that might be, you know, like looking into it too much, but I think there's something interesting about the fact that you're getting these close-ups, but in fact the camera and the person who is, you know, supposed to be capturing these emotions is like three, four meters away on the other side of the room. De- so you're really not close to this person in the slightest. It's definitely a happy accident, and it very much plays into the kind of like uh, the the novel aspect of this as well, where it is this kind of like thing that you're you're floating in. Do you know what I mean to to the room and yeah. you're, being, you're being told what you need to be told, and it is that kind of thing. Like you almost get this like three sixty view of what what is going on and. Um, yeah, I find uh, I find that stuff kind of really interesting, and like lots of believes like wholly that things happen for a reason. But like I think when filmmakers kind of use those accidents or kind of misfortunes to, and then it it translates what well, because this film it looks 
almost looks like a film that was just kind of left on the shelf from the 70s like it's yeah. kind of subject matter and even the way that like there's there's lots of like word processors and stuff like that you don't you, you never really see anyone like typing on a laptop like to like no there's no no phones no computers and they, 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 they were saying i was watching um a uh like a, a screener interview beforehand. I think it was the New York Film Festival. Um, it was like Tribeca, uh, oh. 2014, where they were saying modern technology is ugly and they, they don't, we don't want to see it. So they don't want to watch, see a fucking flat screen TV it's, on the wall. It's, they just don't like it. So it's, it's interesting as well that obviously like a lot of modern technology, like even like I watched something recently and saw like the original, like, um, iphone interface and it's like all of a sudden you're kind of taken out of the film like oh this is dated do you know what i mean like this is, <laughs> this is this is weirdly dated whereas like there is something i don't know there's a there's something timeless about stuff that is that far removed like especially when you look yes. back to like yeah the 70s like what's 50 years ago or whatever uh, or like even, even further back it's kind of you can tell these like universal stories and you can tell these like 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 we said with this film it is this kind of never end like this could easily have been transported back to the the 70s and icon that come up this could easily be transported 20 30 years in the future and it's philip in the ike role like it's kind yeah, of, of course like, and to, to to kind of keep yeah it kind of it, it feels like an intentional uh, decision to to make the film almost feel out of time do you know what i mean but yes. obviously speaks to speaks to very universal feelings of of kind of not just creativity but just the the general anxieties people have about what they're trying to achieve and who they let in and kind of who they push away and kind of the the toll that can take on you and the kind of what are you willing to give up to kind of get what you want? And it's kind of, I don't know, it was almost like a, this film feels like a, a cautionary tale in, in, in some ways, as opposed yeah. to you should root for Philip or you should like aspire to be like him. It's almost like as, as a creative, it's like you, like if you, if you make a few bad decisions, you can, you could, you could end up like this guy. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's interesting that, well, I guess a couple of things. One, the way that, in terms of being timeless and it just very much just being about people, like there's no, um, there's, there's no real wide shots in this. There's no, we're in New York, we're in Brooklyn, but there's no shots of kind of like, here we are in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the most it gets to that is the, is the, you know, the stairs outside of their apartment. Uh-huh. Whereas I think another, another film in that similar vein would be kind of like, here's a shot of Manhattan for context or Brooklyn Bridge or Prospect Park or yes. uh, East Slope or something um, to, yeah. uh, you know, to really ground us in where we are. But no, it's just there's nothing really wide it's just people yeah yeah no um, no establishing shots right no kind of like like yeah I, that's what that, that that's what's interesting about this is like i can think of like the the dark world reality version of this being like a, a rom-com like a kind of like uh, yeah 
expressed earlier of this thing of like, I don't know, like it's, it's a, it's a down on his luck kind of like curmudgeonly author who goes to a country retreat and then learns the errors of his ways, re- yeah. either realizes that, that uh, yeah, and Ashley would be played as more of a villain, like she was holding him back, and it's through this, or like I don't know, like he made that mistake, but then realizes she wasn't the one for him. It's Ike's daughter who was the one for him. Yeah, and she's yeah, the one yeah. to show. Him He's going to have to find ways. out that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then new and like New York is a character in the film that like fucking trope as yeah. well that they they would bring in um and there'd be a deli scene. Yeah, and that's that, what I find interesting about this is the fact that like it is very New York centric and that like and not just the city, it's obviously upstate as well. But it yeah. doesn't feel the need to like ram it down your throat like, do you know what I mean? Like Totally. Totally, I think that it, it's really good that it does that because it, that's that would be such like a you know a trope to a trope to lean on, and I think that's just not really what Alex Ross Perry's uh, you know bag, as it were, is. To he doesn't he doesn't really want to spoon feed you with anything. Mm. It's it's very much like here are the characters, this is what's happening, and you know let's just let's just you know, be thrust into their lives for a while and then get pulled out without looking at, you know, what's, without trying to give us too much kind of like establishing, you know, we, you know, we find our characters in the summer of 1958 in New York. Here's the Empire State Building. Um, you know, here's New York people walking around. New York people, weird thing to say. <laughs> but yeah, totally. He's- uh, on, on, I'd say on, on the subject of characters, I do want to give, um, uh, I do really enjoy seeing the uh, returning uh, friends and collaborators in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, so especially, I don't. Did you did you get around to watching the Color Wheel? No, no, no. As I said, this is this is my introduction to Alex Ross, and it's, not, it's okay, okay, okay. It's, it's going to send it's, it's it's sending me down a hole. I'll tell you that for sure. After this, joke. I I I can't wait to talk to you about the Color Wheel because. Um, it's uh yeah depending on um how i I won't won't really say anything but depending on whether you have siblings or not Uh, i can imagine there's do you have siblings i have two siblings yeah i have a brother yeah two siblings (laughs) okay okay I'd i'd be interested to see what your reaction would be to it having siblings compared to i've i've got i'm an only child i've got no siblings so uh and i've uh, I watched it with an ex uh, a few years back and she saw something in it which I really didn't see because I just don't have siblings so I didn't <laughs> yeah I, I, I couldn't see it but anyway um, there's it, it's so as, I, as we kind of said before this is the first movie of his where he brought we had you know uh, professional actors uh, playing in it whereas uh-huh. before it would be his friends and collaborators Um and so uh, a couple of people who, what, one person who I absolutely love is the guy that plays Josh, the other author. Yes. Um, an actor called Keith Paulson, who I've, I ended up watching another, um, connected through this kind of wider group of filmmakers, another filmmaker's movie, which he starred in. And he's just a really funny guy. Like his, the, the way he delivers like lines and acts is amazing. So I'm a huge fan of his and the creep. And for those of you at, 
the viewing audience at home, uh, listening audience at home, who have seen the the color wheel, the creep in the bar in Listen Up Philip is the guy that pours wine into uh, Alex Ross Perry's pocket in the color wheel. And I noticed that for the first time um, the, when I watched it the other day and was just like, yes, I knew, I knew it was you. <laughs> so yeah, it's really cool seeing, seeing his kind of friends and collaborators come in to this movie and act and be, uh, act alongside these professional actors and really, yeah, really hold their own. De- yeah, de- de- definitely. I think the supporting cast in this, kind of the people who drift in, whether it's like, well, yeah, we haven't even talked about Yvette. That's, that's, that's the thing, like this, this film kind of, and I, I think I said it in the intro, it meanders around, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's got but this, so well paced at yeah, the same time. And it's got this thing of like, um, Philip floating from woman to woman. And it, it, it all kind of speaks to that point of like him thinking he knows what he wants and kind of he's based his decisions on these kind of predicated on on teenage fantasies where he's like ever since i was 12 i always wanted to have a french girlfriend stuff like that and there's a weird subplot with a vet that she she was the one who like you get allusions to it that the faculty are against him at the college he's teaching at and it's like uh, revealed that she was the one who 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 kind of (laughs) spread the rumors but because of her jealousy that he would now become the the youngest faculty member and um, yeah he kind of doesn't deserve the place because he's just this this author who's written a couple of books and uh yeah like does he actually have the 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 teaching chops and I, i again i i think it it is having something to say about those kind of redemptive arc movies as well because we're presenting time and time again with these women like more so in this film that could be teaching philip lessons and helping him grow it's interesting to see how like presented with these opportunities and these chance to learn from the mistakes he's made just makes the same mistakes over and over again and like for for a film that is titled listen up philip he is fucking deaf to any advice yeah. anyone has for him. But it's, it's, I think it's great the fact that um, Alex Ross Perry doesn't use these women as uh, like devices uh-huh. to, to give Philip his, uh, to allow Philip to learn. Because I think in so many movies, that, that, so many other films, that would be what like the, uh, the function of this woman would be is to be kind of like a person who allows Alex, uh, sorry, um, who allows Philip to, uh, to learn something. And that, that's, that's the kind of their reductive function in the film. And it's so great that they, they don't put up with his shit. Yeah. They don't, they don't, they're, they're, they're not, they're not there to be this, either this kind of, uh, the one who saves him. Uh, or the one who kind of like bends over backwards for him. It's they, yeah, they, 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 they I think they just kind of catch on to the fact he's an asshole pretty quickly uh-huh. and leave him. As opposed to, you can imagine a lot of other movies where they would either be kind of, you know, he, he learns through, you know, through a vet maybe, he learns his lesson, becomes a better guy, and then goes back and makes up with Ashley and she takes him back. Or he goes back. He goes back and kind of makes up with Ashley, but then realizes that 
it's Ike's, uh, it's Melanie that he wants. And, you know, uh-huh. and these women have just been his stepping stones to uh, getting better and making us like him. Uh-huh. Well, it's not, not at all. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think, I think that's, it's, it's so much more real and it's m- so much more respectful to, uh, I, to having a woman in, the, in that role in the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I, I think what's, what, what I like about the ending of this film as well, we get it through the narration, is how, like, it's almost like a punchline at the end of the movie that, like, you're kind of told, like, he, 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 he like, Ashley wants nothing to do with him, Yvette wants nothing to do with him, he would then, <laughs> go, and that kind of, like, postscript of, like, he would go on to become, the, he would, like, a successful writer and, like, like uh enviously like wealthy and stuff like that and but but in doing so he's basically be- he's become like like 2.0 yeah. and it is just like this thing of like yeah i think an alternative title for this film could be like ike like uh <laughs> in, in, <laughs> yeah. in the way that like he's kind of hurtling towards this inevitable the the film i think cleverly gives you breadcrumbs throughout of this thing of like Oh, you think you're getting this? You could be getting a redemptive arc, but no, we're just like we we've set up the Ike character, and it's like this is this is who Philip is going to become, and it's like yeah, it's it's weirdly satisfying that it doesn't give you the Hollywood version of what this film could be. It kind of it gives yeah. you the the real world version of it, and it is this thing. Some people they never learn. They kind of destined to make the same mistakes because there's something either in their wiring or kind of the decisions that they choose to make and this self-imposed sense of self and who they should be and who they think they are that they are they're kind of they're predicated to, to make the same mistakes and kind of come stay be an arsehole stay an arsehole and kind of die an arsehole <laughs> yeah well it's that thing they're, they're they are becoming the characters they're becoming a character in their own book mm-hmm. of themselves yeah and that and that character is kind of like writing itself without much control from them and yeah so, it's sad as we start to wrap things up adam um yeah is there anything in this film that we've kind of missed or that you kind of wanted to give a shout out about or kind of is there a particular scene that really stands out to you that we haven't had a chance to talk about i just wanted to call out there's a couple of bits which are i I think the way we've been talking about this film a lot we've been kind of missing the fact that it's also a really funny film yes yes yes, yes, Um, it is is is, it's it's really funny but there's there's a couple of good gags so actually to carry on with the um the connection to rushmore so there's one joke in it which is um so uh, when uh, Philip first goes to meet all the people in the, in the faculty that he's going to, um, he's, he, he's already been rude to a few of them. And because uh, they're all saying how much they like his book and he's just like, probably haven't read it or I don't know why are people being so nice to me. Um, anyway, uh, he's, he's standing with Ike um, and a woman comes up to him and says, uh, sorry to bother you again. Is there trash in here? And his response is, I'm right here. <laughs> And then Ike Ike cracks up and like spits his drink out. That for me is the very much the same kind of joke. Do you remember in Rushmore, where um, where there where uh, Bill Murray, Luke Wilson, um, 
uh, Jason Schwartzman and the I can't remember the name of the character or this is Cross is played. the character name yeah the, the... yes yeah so um, uh, Jason Schwartzman asked Luke Wilson what what are those like what are those clothes because he's in his um his like hospital clothes. And Luke says, they're OR scrubs. And Jason Schwartzman says, oh, are they? Yes. And yeah. um, Bill Murray just like cracks up into his, his glass, like spits his glass out. Uh, or does that kind of like cough laugh thing. That to me is like a direct lineage of that kind of gag. Um, and yeah, I thought, I thought one, I thought it was interesting of them being very similar jokes in very similar situations uh-huh. where it's person person with their kind of uh, i guess protege to a certain extent uh ma- the younger person making kind of like a uh, like a pun like gag and the older person kind of cracking up when they really shouldn't be um i thought that was that was really funny um and also uh another one the fact that ike has audit as his car license plate uh-huh. <laughs> which is the the title of his most famous like his comeback novel yeah, yeah, yeah. which is at the same time kind of cool and like really fucking lame yeah it's deeply tragic right that it is that yeah of, like he's holding on to the, the 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 past massively and to your point on on rushmore i think these two films make a a, a great double bill because it is that thing of like it almost you could transplant this film as being like a uh, an Elseworld like sequel to Rushmore. Like, what would happen to Max Fisher if he kind of carried on with the behaviour that like was kind of well? I th- I think Max Fisher by the end of that learned something. But if he had yeah. kind of not learned any lessons and kind of carried on the trajectory of kind of being unaware of how he makes other people feel and stuff like that, like. Yeah, you can imagine Margaret Yang becoming kind of like the Ashley character. Um, or so, even, totally. Or even the kind of first girlfriend he has, like where it's like she was kind of long-suffering before, like she was there for the first novel and then he's moved on to Ashley. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, is there, is, is there anything else we've, we've missed, uh, Adam? And the only other thing, just to touch on uh, the score quickly. Yes, that, 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 that was my next point. <laughs> Keegan DeWitt's score for this is fantastic. So, um, it's, uh, so from what I've, what I've read um, and heard him speak about, he, this, this was kind of outside, doing kind of this kind of jazz, this New York jazz stuff was kind of outside of his wheelhouse. But the film was temped with a bunch of Miles Davis tunes. Oh, and so when so when he was given the film with these Miles Davis temp tunes on it, he was like, "Shit, I've got to, I've got to get rid of all the kind of the electric stuff that I usually do and write some legitimate kind of like New York, quite like smoky jazz." Um, so he wrote. I, so from what I I'm kind of putting it together here, but what I, I think happened was he he wrote some he wrote some themes and some kind of like basic cues. Um, and then went to um, an arranger and some, uh, excuse me, jazz musicians in um, uh, where is the place? I will come back to you on that one. It's like the, the the home of the home of rock and roll and blues in Tennessee? the U.S. Me- I think it, I think it was Memphis. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I think um, he uh, went and 
basically had these musicians improvise on these themes that he had written. So the score is largely improvised, which is really, really, really cool because it fits in with kind of what it was tempted by and it fits in with that, you know, that smoky East Coast uh, 40s, 50s, like jazz aesthetic. Well, yeah, when you, when you look at the, the, the titles for the, for the score tracks as well, it'll be like Philip One, Take One. Or like fifth, yeah. one take two, so you 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 get that sense of the that the, the they were like yeah even the way and definitely do check out the um the score like anyone who's listening because uh, on Spotify at least they have like some of the demos for some of the tracks as well so you can like kind of hear what kind of yeah like uh, Egan Dewitt's kind of original sketches were as opposed to what we get in the film once he brought on those musicians which um yeah, yeah. I, think, I think obviously the, the 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 score is harking back to the films that this kind of was inspired by and those directors and stuff like that but i think i don't know there's i just i i, I love it i'm a kind of I, I, I love jazz anyway but like i think it very much it captures what this film is and Almost feels quite knowing. Do you know what I mean? Like that that this yeah. is this is a New York movie. Do you know what I mean? Like we're yes. I'm very much I'm doing I'm do yeah, I'm 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 doing I would That's been, almost the most sorry, that, that's almost like the music is almost the most New York thing about the about the film because uh-huh. they're not showing New York unless unless I don't know, you've been to did they even mention New York? Because I feel like unless you've been to um to to brooklyn that, that kind of like park slopey area not to be like well, i've been to brooklyn to park slope area that's why i'm saying this but no I'm, I, I think unless you've really been there you might not really clock that's new york uh-huh. but that music that it's just un you know it, it sets you right in there perfectly yes yeah, yeah yeah um yeah and i think yeah they refer to it as the city as well which i guess like is very like unless you know do you know what i mean like New York, like that's probably how that that's definitely how people refer to it. That's the city. Sure. And it's upstate and stuff like that. So um yeah, that I think that about covers it. But yeah, I think for, so. But for, for listen up Philip. So um before yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as I always uh, like to do before we kind of wrap things up fully on this, is see if there's any copla connections within the film. Is there people who are in this film or worked on this film who have worked with the Coplas elsewhere? Did you manage to find any Adam? Um, damn, I forgot to do that. Um, it's okay. I've, I mean, I've got two and like they, 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 they might, they might spark off some discussion and I probably could have found more, but I just, uh, I just, I always feel like this section goes on for way too long of me just reading out things I've read off of IMDb. <laughs> okay. But the, the two I found are interesting. So Jonathan Price is in Stigmata. 1999 which stars patricia arquette who at that time was married to nicholas cage and elizabeth moss i think uh possibly the most interesting one uh speak about because of an upcoming project is very coppola centric uh elizabeth moss was in on the road which roman coppola and francis ford coppola produced um she's in the french dispatch which obviously Jason Schwartzman has a cameo in, and him and Roman have story by credit. But most pertinent, oh, of course she is. Yeah, <laughs> damn, that's the only, I, I, yeah, 
<laughs> Go on. Probably the most pertinent one is an upcoming project which Elizabeth Moss has, which is she will be playing Eleanor Coppola in a film called Francis and the Godfather, which stars Oscar Isaacs as uh, Francis Ford Coppola and, yeah, Elizabeth Moss as uh, the kind of matriarch to the Coppola family, Eleanor, Francis's wife. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, I, I, I imagine Elizabeth Moss would have at least a couple. Yeah, she, like, I think, and I think that project, I'm not sure, like, because there's kind of two, there's, there's two projects coming out there in, I guess they're cashing in on the, the 50 years of The Godfather, but there's a TV project yeah. all about, I think it's called like The Deal, all about the making of The Godfather. And then there's this film, which from looking at the cast, I think it's Jake Gyllenhaal is playing Robert Evans, the producer on the film. And then, as I said, Elizabeth Moss as Eleanor Coppola and Oscar nice. Isaac as, as Francis Ford Coppola. And it's like, I can't think of better casting for that role. Do you know what I mean? You think, get, get, get a few bowls of spaghetti in him, uh, Oscar Isaac, <laughs> uh, let him pack on the pounds a yeah. bit, put some glasses on him, grow out his beard a bit, and he's kind of, he's got that Francis look to him. Yeah, no, that, that's good. That's going to be good. I'm going to watch the trailer for that as soon as we're, uh, as soon as we're off. I'm not sure if there is a trailer um, yet, but like... Is uh, there not? No. Unless, unless, unless I watch the trailer for the TV show... Yeah, the TV series. I, th- I think there's at least stills of that out at the moment. There's definitely. I'm. I'm fairly certain. I'm gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> st- fuck, fuck. I'm gonna stick by this, even though I could probably search it now. I'm fairly <laughs> certain there's a trailer out for this. Oh well, uh, I, I've not been doing my homework, guys. Oh. All right. So um, let's get on to rating this film. And the way we do this on this podcast is seeing what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film. What wine would you pair with this and up Philip Adam? Uh, I would go for. I'm not that much of a connoisseur. I, I, I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a red guy. Uh-huh. So for that, and also I think, I think red wine for this makes a lot more sense. It's, it's definitely a, a movie for. I can imagine crying into a glass of red wine <laughs> after interacting with any of these characters. So, uh, so yeah, I'd say like a, a Merlot, and just. Having it in like the the crook of your hand, I think that red. What, wine what about is, yourself? I think red wine is perfect for this film because red wine has like a, a self seriousness to it, and like kind of yeah, yeah. Red, red wine drinkers is almost like the the, the thinking man's wine, almost. And yes, it's, that that's very much what Philip and uh, Ike definitely see themselves as these kind of very self serious men, and there's a kind of I don't know, there's, I guess, there's a slight sweetness to this film and the kind of humour to it. Like, do you know what I mean? There's sweet notes, but there's definitely kind of, there's a deep, rich body to it and it's a lot more There's a heaviness to it. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Which you can kind of normally get from a a red wine. Um, So would that be a bottom shelf, middle shelf or top shelf wine? AKA, is this film any good? I'm going... um... I mean, I would, I would want to say top shelf, but for whatever reason, just because it's a, because it's a mid, well, very, no, a tight micro budget movie, Uh maybe you'd have to say kind of mid shelf, but 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say top shelf. Like I I I I love this film so much. This it's it is really I me mean, very unique. And when I when I rewatched it, I was definitely like, how have I waited so long to rewatch this movie? Uh-huh. Because man, the pacing is for a movie that's kind of like a largely a character study. The pacing is incredible, and the fact that it's a movie that kind of does te- almost like meander a bit. It's snappy as hell and you're you're just there's no point where your concentration isn't 100 with what's happening on screen well yeah and i love the fact that it utilizes something in jason schwartzman as well that there's something really likable about jason schwartzman as a person and an actor but kind of draws out this assholeness of him and imagine yeah He's probably been around a lot of the people that this this film is about, and I think I've, I yeah I I would say this is definitely like I'm not turning over the page if I'm ordering this in a restaurant. This isn't like the most expensive bottle of wine. Yeah, but it's definitely like I don't know, maybe slightly on my tiptoes if I'm in a supermarket. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> I'm not asking the, the 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 shopping attendant to kind of get that little kickstall out to to get that one that's right at the top that's kind of out of my price range. Do you know what I mean? But it's def it's definitely one that like as a treat, like every every couple of years or so, I'll definitely revisit kind of Yeah, totally. Wallow in it. Um so let's move on to what I like to call the impossible questions of this podcast. The first one being which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the entire filmography of the rest of the family. Oh, I think we did, had this discussion last time. It's like if you, uh-huh. I mean, if you get rid of Schwartzman, then you lose Schwartzman's finest hour, which is the uh, Phantom Planet OC. Yes. Uh, have you thing. changed your opinion on that? Uh, have, 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 have you got something more to add, or are you sticking with uh, Jason Schwartzman on this? It's got to be Cage, man. Like, but <laughs> I can't. I as much as I'd want to choose something more original, I, I can't imagine a world without Nicolas Cage. Uh huh. So unfortunately, Schwartzman's going to be dropped off the old precipice there. Schwartzman's gone. Francis is gone. Uh, Spike Jones is gone. Sophia's gone. Roman, you're all, you're all, you're all on the pyre. We're keeping Cage. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to do it. I think <laughs> at, at points you have to, just go for sheer visceral entertainment. Yes, and uh, and 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 on that level, I have to say, like, yeah, I've got to go for Cage. He's 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 an actor who's got something for every mood, every occasion, and kind of <laughs> yeah. every quality level as well. He's scraped the bottom of the barrel, and he's kind of twinkled the stars of of, of what filmmaking could be. So, yeah, he's, completely, uh, yeah. I'm not saying he's the right choice, but he's definitely not a wrong choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, do you do you do you have your choice given um, the nature of your podcast? I guess I will like reveal that maybe on like a a very important episode, or that will be like the once. Do you know what I mean, once I've kind of done the the full scope of the collective filmography, I can make a definitive decision, like a kind of scientist. Sure. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to show my hand right now but uh i don't know that is that's fair enough and it's for me it's like kill, it'd be like killing my children do you know what i mean i'm so, I'm so invested in this family <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um 
So yeah, ba- of course. Based on Listen Up, Philip alone, are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time, Adam? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you care to elaborate? Um, I. I mean, I'm interested to see. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, th- I'm trying to. I'm definitely tr- desperately trying to think of other film families. I'm very interested to see what um, uh, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's next movie is going to be like. Uh huh. Because I thought Possessor was awesome. And um, his, I believe his sister as well is uh, slated to direct a film. So, like, I think it may oh, really? be, they may all be slated for this year as well. So we're going to get a triple Cronenberg. We're going to get the new David Cronenberg, the new Brandon Cronenberg, and the new Caitlin Cronenberg. Yeah, so, th- so in, t- in terms of um, film families... I would say that there's an argument that they are because I guess the sheer number of them and the yes. sheer amount of people who have turned out to be Coppolas. So I guess it's a safe bet to go with them at present. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with, you know, as the, uh, as other young protégés of uh, great directors release their movies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's an interesting time because... Uh, there's a big talk, especially online at the moment, about nepotism in filmmaking and stuff like that. I know that Judd Apatow came under some flack, I think, when a lot of people realised that his daughter is one of the stars of Euphoria and stuff like that, and then people kept poking around at the nepotism, basically, like, I'm over here being like, oh, well, I host nepotism, the podcast. Like, (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the the idea of the film family, I think, is is really interesting, and it's it, the way that it's perceived is, I like that it's nepotism, and I, I said this on a previous episode. It's like when you see like a carpentry firm or a building firm, which is like, I don't know, Davis and Sons. It's kind of ah, oh, it's hearty. It's kind of it's a family-run business. How good! But as soon as it's kind of filmmaking's involved it's kind of uh it's dirty it's icky like they yeah they, yeah i know i know what you mean they've got a leg up uh yeah yeah no, i guess i don't know i if, i i think it's it's you know that their, their 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 parents are in the business so uh-huh. it's i don't think we should be surprised or disappointed if yeah. they I, I would say look if 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 they suck yes if they are not if they are not good at what they do and they keep getting work Yes, yeah, then yeah, yeah. That's what it comes maybe, down. and they keep getting work over people who perhaps should be more deserving of getting those roles. Then, yeah, maybe we, maybe there's a reason to be uh, upset or angry if yeah. you if you really want to be, or maybe just don't watch those films. I, um, but I, 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 I think I think the market and is going to decide really uh-huh. if these if these people are allowed to have careers you know front facing or behind the scenes careers i mean largely i can imagine there's a lot of there's a lot of the a lot of um nepotism in uh on the production and the back the like the the back side of things i'm gonna go with that back side yeah, of things yeah yeah, the back end, um, yeah back side, where yeah. yeah but yeah where 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 basically they can get away with being like shit uh-huh uh, for for the margin for error of being shit is you know a, a lot bigger 
um, you know, they can be shitty people and they can do a bad job and probably get through things quite well. But I would say on in front of camera, I would say eventually you're gonna get found the, out. You're gonna get found out. The, the, well, ultimately, it's the bank. Your your bankability will uh-huh. begin to hurt the projects that you may or may not be attached to. So, I think getting up in arms about like, oh, you know, oh, they're, they're from this family. If they're doing a good job, then fuck it. You know. <laughs> so yeah, are you are you less entertained? Adam, all roads lead to one question on this podcast. The most important Maybe. question on this podcast, if you will, which is, what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? Um, when I die, I want you to eat. <laughs> <laughs> on that note... Start, let- with, start with the eyes. Like a cat. <laughs> on that note, where can people find you and uh, whether it's the music you do or any future projects you're doing, whether it's uh, Wes Banderson or kind of anything adjacent to that? Well, yeah, well, 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 plug away. It is, it, is, it is funny you should ask me where people can find me. Um, very shortly, or perhaps even it's already uh, come out, I think it's very shortly, uh, there's a small movie coming out, uh, which I've had a part of, called uh, Batman. Um, and, uh, I, I'm not, I don't know how well it's been promoted. Um, but I, yeah, I'd Google it, I guess. Um, and, uh, in, uh, this film, uh, Batman, um, go to batman.com. I think you can find <laughs> it there. Um, I am playing the role of Batman. <laughs> um, but only his hands. In a couple of scenes. Okay. Okay. Can't, so I'm not sure if you're so, trolling me right now, Adam. So uh, there's a couple of moments where uh, Batman is typing on the Bat laptop, communicating with the Riddler. Those are my hands. There's also another, a couple of other moments where he's turning some dials and deploying the little Bat radar and turning turning the bat knobs and sliders and stuff those are also my hands so that's probably where you can find me in in the largest sense Dep- depending on how well this film does i don't really know um <laughs> find you in the bat cave yes you you'll, you can find me in the bat cave if you know what i mean um aside, uh, aside from that um i, uh, I i'm being 100% serious i'm actually in in the film I can't. I, I I genuinely cannot wait to go, and I will say in the cinema to whoever's next to me, "Those are my hands." Um, and I'm just. I'm. I'm really hoping I'll make it onto the poster. Um, uh, aside from that, uh, you can find me at at Adam Znaidi Z A D A M Z N A I D I on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I've got a couple of shows with my like solo stuff. Um, my uh, find me on Spotify, Adam Znaidi as well. Um, and I've got a record up there and I've got another record coming out soon. Um, if you like, uh, like Thundercatty, Frank Zappa, kind of spicy Mars Volta jazz fusion stuff, then it's, it's all that kind of bag. Um, and then hopefully soon I'll have some new stuff to announce with Wes Banderson. 
so yeah that's uh those those are my things amazing well thank you so much for coming and making some copal connections with me adam thank you so much for having me i really really enjoyed that have it guys uh that was listen up philip and that was the amazing adam snidey uh yeah what uh, what an absolute joy to have adam back on the podcast uh maybe when we cover the other alex ross perry film golden exits he may return who knows um if you agreed or disagreed if there's anything that me and adam missed on this episode please don't hesitate to get in touch at all the usual channels so that is twitter instagram facebook and letterboxd all at caged in pod or you can drop me an email to say to say a little bit more if you want to if you want to drop me an email and that's caged in pod at gmail.com as for next week on the podcast well before we get to next week there's been some uh, some 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 funny goings on uh, here at Cage Towers. Uh, recently, uh, my episode with Nathaniel Metcalf covering G Men from Hell was shared on Facebook by the director of that film, who is the one, the only Christopher Coppola. Yeah, that is right. The the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola, the brother of Nicolas Cage, listened to that episode and enjoyed it. He said it was funny. He had a couple of gripes for some of the things I said, and I said, I probably am wrong. Uh, and I've invited him on the podcast. So hopefully at some point this year, I'll be speaking to an actual Coppola on this podcast. How fucking cool will that be, right? <laughs> so as for next week as I, as, I, as I mentioned a mere moments ago um, we'll be tackling a biggie I'll be joined by Tim Coleman of the Moving Pictures Film Club podcast and blog uh, to discuss Francis Ford Coppola's masterpiece The Godfather uh, the episode won't be coming out on the Tuesday. We'll be dropping it on the 24th, which was the day it got general release in the US. So I thought that would uh, a bit of synergy and <laughs> peek behind the curtain here. Me and Tim are having that conversation on the 21st of March. And I don't think I can edit it and release it the next day. Like, I think that would be too much for me to do because I imagine that that chat is going to be an epic one i've been deep in kind of prep listening to the audiobook of the book i've watched the films uh watched the film multiple times i recently saw it at the cinema which was lovely stuff um yeah i'll be watching it with all the different commentary tracks i've just recently finished the amazing mark seal book uh leave the gun take the cannoli which is fantastic i'll be kind of thumbing through all of my kind of Coppola books I've got, whether that's Ian Nathan's book on the Coppolas, but really, yeah, looking for those Godfather-specific chapters. I'll be looking at um, Mark Searby's book as well, uh, the movies behind the man, 
um, all about the Al Pacino and kind of get the Al Pacino perspective that he's got in his book. Yeah, there'll be there'll be all sorts. So kind of, I'm, I'm delving everywhere. I kind of took a couple of weeks off recording the podcast uh, to to kind of really prep for this one because it feels like a masterpiece needs kind of the care and attention to really really delve into it and really get to the meat and the potatoes of it and I'm, it's obviously a daunting prospect talking about a film that's probably been talked to death already and what, what new can be said uh, how far can we be but I'm sure it's going to get it's going to get the caged in treatment so it'll be a, a, a lot of fun so if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast and would like to support by parting with a little bit of money you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you can sign up to as little as £2 50 or three dollars a month to become a movie brat where yeah we got a little season over there called movie brat bros where it's in its first season we look at the films of ryan de palma so far we've covered phantom of the paradise we've covered mission impossible we've covered raising cane carlito's way and uh soon come on the podcast we will be talking about the untouchables where i'll be joined by rich nelson of the do you want me and Betamax Video Club podcasts to discuss that? A little bit of delay on that one that was supposed to come out this week. That will be coming out in two weeks' time. Uh, I was I was a little bit ill as well as kind of being deep in this prep. I kind of had a really sore throat and couldn't make the record day. You don't really need to know this stuff, but yeah, there's, there's a delay on that. But still, there's what there's four episodes to kind of delve back into, and it's yeah, as I said, it's it's kind of. It's buying me like a cheap cup of coffee a month to be able to listen to all these episodes. And uh, if, when there's not delays, they're, they're out fortnightly, which is pretty good going, I, I, if, I, if I do say so myself, uh, for, 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 the money, for the money you're paying. It's, 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 it's well worth your money, I'll tell you that for sure. However, if you don't want to part with your money, you can always support this podcast by heading over to Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you're listening to this right now and leaving a lovely five-star rating and review. And in your review, as ever, please let me know what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation. As ever, I have been Petros Patsilovas, your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family. Remember to keep it caged in. I'll catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, a Town Limerie, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.